Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I wanted to reiterate the invitation for the newcomers. Uh, I'll admit selfishly that when we talked about this idea, uh, I brought it up because, as I've tried to share with you before, every sermon I preach, I have people in mind, the people that are sitting out there. And uh, through the years, uh, I've known most everybody in the pews, but in recent months, there's a lot that I don't know. And I want to get to know you, and I want to uh, hear your story, and I want to spend time together. And so the newcomer's lunch is just for a chance for us to do that. That's really uh, all it is. And there'll be other staff and elders there. And so whether you signed up or not, if that's of interest to you, and I hope it is, um, we invite you to come and be a part of that uh, this, this afternoon. So we're going to talk about Hebrews. Over the last few weeks, the writer of Hebrews has been uh, sharing some warnings with us, hasn't he? Uh, these are important warnings. The first warning was a warning not to drift away, to, to slowly settle into compromise and then lose sight of the gospel. Now, trusting in our own wisdom and understanding instead of relying on the promises of God. It's a warning not to drift away. But then the second warning is also important. It's the warning about Unbelief, where that, that drifting away begins to turn into doubt. And we start to ask questions like, is it really worth it? And we start to look around us and it turns into discontent as we think, gosh, there's got to be some easier way. We start grumbling and complaining about our problems instead of rejoicing in our salvation. So these are really important admonitions that we received from the writer of Hebrews, but God never gives us warning without giving us direction. And so the writer of Hebrews will now shift his attention and, and turn to an invitation that's right alongside these warnings. It's kind of like a fork in the road where you can make a choice. You can choose a path of disobedience where you're relying on your own strength in the midst of your circumstances apart from God or you can trust in God and, and take your eyes off of your circumstances and put them on your Savior. That's really the, the fork in the road here, and it's, it's an invitation um, right alongside the warning. Now, if there's ever a message that we need to hear, I think it's, it's this one, because our world is plagued with fear and anxiety about all that is happening around us. We get caught up, and, and if you listen to the news very long, you'll become anxious with all the what-if worry about things that are going on in our world. Am I right? And so if we let this continue, it can be paralyzing, and I can tell you that with confidence because I've lived that nightmare. And so we need to have an invitation an invitation to something better. And this is the invitation to enter into a place of rest. But what is that? What comes to mind for you when you, when you think about rest? For some of you, if we get into this time of year, we get some warmer days, you might think of the opportunity to lay by the pool in the summer heat and just rest. For others of you, I think like Bonnie Hardy, her idea of rest would be walking through an aspen grove in the cool mountain air, right? 
But I think all of us probably have some picture in our mind of what rest looks like. Well, it may surprise you, but this is a picture that comes to mind for me. Let me, let me tell you why. Listen to this. Many of you may recognize this painting. It's a Rembrandt. It's a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And he's depicting the events in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus, surprisingly, was asleep in the midst of this storm, right? And the artist is capturing this scene just after Jesus had been awoken by his disciples. And when I look at this painting, I try to picture which one of these people would I be? So do that for a minute. Look at this painting and ask yourself, which one of these people would you be? Would you be the ones kind of scrambling to get things right by getting control of the cells and trying to get through this thing on your own? Or maybe you're like this guy down here on the bottom who's got his hands over his head, looking over the edge of the boat, thinking, this is not going to go well. I think that's probably me right there. Or maybe you're some of the disciples that are confronting Jesus, asking him, don't you care if we're going to die? Because that's what the scripture says. They awoke him and they asked him, don't you care if we're going to die? Maybe that's where you are. I'll tell you who I want to be. And he's the one it is easiest to overlook. If you'll look closely, there is an almost hidden figure kneeling there at the feet of Jesus. He's got almost like a, a halo over his head. You see him? That, that halo represents, it symbolizes someone who's a, a person of faith. And when I think of rest, that's what I see. Someone who is willing to find rest in the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, no matter what else is going on around him. That's who I want to be. So before we look at our passage this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are a people who need to understand what it means to rest, to find peace in your presence, to find hope in your promises. Lord, there is not a person in this room this morning, despite what's going on around us in all of our different lives, that doesn't need the assurance of this promise. So Lord, as we open up your word, would you open up our hearts Open up our minds so that we, we can see the truths that you are inviting us into. Lord, right next to those warnings, you, you have given us an invitation. So in order to avoid something, you want us to, you're inviting us into something different, something better. So would you help us see what that looks like in our lives this morning? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll pick up where we left off last. I'd love for you to read along with me there, beginning in verse 4. As the writer of Hebrew goes on and says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we have believed, 
we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere, considering the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Now, as we begin to look at this section, I want to draw your attention to a repeated phrase throughout this passage. It's repeated because it's, it's the main thrust of the author's message. In verse 1, it says, a promise remains of entering his rest. We just read that. But then again, in verse 6, it says, therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, again, speaking of his rest. And then again in verse 9, it says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So after this repeated warning, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is now pointing us to this window of opportunity, an invitation to enter into a promised place of rest. Because despite our failure, God is still faithful. And that promise still remains. And the author continues to use that wilderness wandering as his example. So when he talks about they, he's referring back to his description of those who did not accept the invitation in the wilderness, an invitation to, to enter that rest. And he wants us to be a little bit unsettled. He, he says to fear, the fear that, that we could possibly make that very same mistake because they were entered, invited to enter into God's rest as well. But they rejected the invitation. He even says that the, the, the Israelites had the very same good news that has been preached to us. What was, was preached to them has been preached to us, which is really an interesting statement if you think about it. Because when we think of good news, what do we think about? The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but the Israelites lived long before Jesus. And so how did they hear the gospel? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that the gospel is all throughout the Old Testament. Pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see an example of that in the wilderness when the Israelites continued to grumble against God. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, it says this, The, the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. <laughs> wow. God is providing for them daily. He's providing them food. He's providing them water, but they want something better. And as a result, in this particular event, God sent venomous stakes who entered among the people and bit them with that deadly venom. And there were people dying left and right. And, and so God instructed Moses to craft a, a bronze serpent and to put that serpent on the end of a very long pole. And then when Moses would walk through the people, God had promised that if they had been bitten, which means they were destined to die, if they looked upon that snake and trusted in God's provision, then they would be healed. Well, Jesus 
recounting that same event, says this in John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes, whoever looks upon him in faith, will have eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have eternal life. The good news is the promise of God's provision, which is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality. Our, our lives have been poisoned by sin. You and I are, are destined to die. To, to the, the wages of sin is death. And that's true for all mankind. But we can be healed through the forgiveness that is found through faith in Jesus Christ. The serpent was pointing to the provision that God made through the cross of Jesus Christ. And in both the wilderness and at the cross, God promises to bring healing to every person who believes. We also see the, the gospel in the manna from heaven that God provided to the Israelites. They wanted something better, even though it was enough. And Jesus, taking that same idea in John 6, says, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven, no, undeniably referring to the manna in the desert. And he says, And it gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. We want it. He says, I am the bread, the bread of life. Who comes, he who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will not thirst. And we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus enough or do we want something better? You see, the good news preached to the Israelites points to the good news of Jesus Christ. All of the Bible, every single word, from Genesis to Revelation, is one single story of redemption. A story that points to a Savior who brings salvation to the world. Jesus is our ultimate place of rest. In verse 4, the author talks about the seventh day of creation when God rested <laughs> from all of his works, and we know that he wasn't rested, resting because somehow he was tired from his labor, right? He rested because his labor was complete. It was finished. It was done. And we can rest when we look on the finished work of the cross because that's when our salvation was complete. That's when it was done. There's nothing more to do. Let's look how he continues in verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Where if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. See, the gospel has been preached. You heard it again this morning. The 
Israelites heard it in the wilderness. The recipients of this letter from the, to the Hebrews heard it when they read that letter as well. But hearing is of no benefit if it's not united with faith. In the same way that trust is not valid if we're unwilling to obey. It's like believing that a, a chair is able to hold your weight but refusing to sit in it. You see, your, your faith is not true until it's tested. Believing is united with faith. You see, the writer wants us to understand that, that there were those, as he says in verse 6, who, who failed to enter that rest because of disobedience. And like the Israelites, we can refuse to rely on God's promises. We, we can fall into that trap of a, a hardened heart through repeated rejection. That's why the author is so adamant about today. We see that in the word that God spoke as he quotes from David in Psalm 95. What's interesting about this is he's trying to make the point that God said today when he spoke through Moses. But then God also said today when he spoke through David. And then God also said today when he spoke through the writer of Hebrews. Which means God says today when we hear his word spoken this morning. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The point is that the invitation still remains. God has not withdrawn his promise, but hearing good news must be united with believing good news and trusting in God's faithful provision and believing that he is faithful always. Which tells us that, that, that this rest really is, is more than a place. It, it, it can be a place, but it, it seems that he's telling us that, that it's more than a place. It really is more of a posture. We see that in verse 8 because it says that Joshua led the people into the promised land. And what we know is that earlier generation did not enter because of disobedience, right? But this new generation has in fact entered into the promised land, that promised place of rest. But just because they entered the land doesn't mean they entered the rest, because it says, otherwise, God's rest would never have to be spoken beyond that day. God's rest is more than a place. It's, it's a posture in the presence of a very specific person. Listen to this carefully. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, here it is. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We find rest in the presence of Jesus Christ, both now and for all eternity. And notice, Jesus promises not just general rest, but he's saying that you have rest for your soul. So, so this is clearly not a rest like, I'm tired, I kind of need to take a nap, right? This is not physical exhaustion. This is spiritual emptiness. 
It's weary from, from all the efforts of finding meaning and purpose in this world. You can rest from that in Jesus. It's, it's the burden of, of longing that our, that our soul just can't be satisfied by anything that this world has to, to offer. Like Augustine once said, he said, God, you made us for yourself. And our hearts or our, our souls find rest only when they rest in you. We, we are restless until we rest in Jesus Christ. The invitation to find rest is only fulfilled through a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and notice here, Jesus doesn't demand your submission. Do you see what he's done? He just made an invitation. He's inviting you to trust in him. Because look, we all know there's a lot of things that you have choices to choose from in terms of where you might want to place your trust, aren't there? You, you can trust in marriage. You, you can trust in family. You can trust in career. All those are, are good things. And, and a lot of times we try to satisfy our soul in those things. But there must be more. Trying to find rest in our own wisdom and understanding always leads to a dead end. And I know that that there are people who are sitting here this morning who have heard the message of Jesus Christ over and over again, and you're still convinced, I think I can do this on my own. But all of those paths lead to dead ends because we only find rest in Jesus Christ alone. Look at verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Here in this last section, the, the writer kind of gives an additional description, doesn't he? He calls it a Sabbath rest, which really kind of connects us back to what he said in verse 4 when he talked about that rest of God on the seventh day, that Sabbath rest. Again, not because he's tired, but because his work was finished. It was complete. Here, the writer takes that same idea, and now he gives us an application. He tells us how to apply this to our lives. He says, just as God rested from his works, so you should rest from yours. Like we said earlier, when we rely on Jesus, we rest on the finished work of the cross. We depend, we we rely on his complete forgiveness, the hope of salvation, the promise of eternal life. This past week, the elders did a study on, we were looking at eternal security, that that assurance of our salvation. And and when we did so, we kept running into words like promise and pledge or or ideas like being sealed or, or, or being anointed or being confirmed. And as we talked through this and looked at all these passages, it came to an undeniable conclusion that that our eternal security is not based on our performance. It is based on God's promise. He's the one that's making the pledge. He's the one that's confirming. He's the one that's anointing. So just like when God rested from his work, we can rest from ours. 
We don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to, to work to ensure our perseverance of salvation. Hebrews 10, 12 is very clear. Listen to what it says. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sat down because the work was done, which means there's nothing more for you and I to do. We just must believe. That's why we find rest, relying on his complete forgiveness. We trust in his promise of eternal rest, that, that promise that we will be in his presence eternally. But the author does tell us we must be diligent and I believe that that's telling us that, that, that there's a, a daily dependence upon the Lord. Because remember, the rest is experienced within, within the context of a relationship. And like any relationship, we must be diligent towards that relationship in order for it to develop over time, right? And so if Terry and I got married... <clears throat> And after we stepped off the altar, I looked at her and said, man, that was awesome. I'll try to touch base with you at least once or twice a year. Okay? We would not have celebrated our 30th anniversary last, last week, I'll tell you that. And to be honest with you, if that's my idea of a relationship, I was never committed to her in the first place. And you see, that's what the author of Hebrews wants us to understand as well. In God's original design, the Sabbath was created to be an ongoing experience of life-giving fellowship with our Creator. But when sin entered into our story, which it has for all of us, that, that poisonous reality, it broke that fellowship that we were created for. And only the work of Jesus Christ on the cross has the power to restore and redeem God's original design bringing reconciliation through faith in Jesus Christ. We enter God's rest through relationship with Jesus. I love the way Mark Buchanan, who's an author, writes it. He says, God invites us to enter his rest more fully so that we might know him more deeply. So be diligent. Be diligent to live with that daily dependence upon the Lord a daily experience of his forgiveness and grace. We need that because we're still frail and failures in many ways and in many times. And so God promises to give us rest through his grace and forgiveness, and we need to enter it daily. Daily, the assurance of his mercy and love, just creating that space to cultivate a relationship with Jesus Christ with the anticipation of that eternal rest in his presence when he makes all things new. So as we think about that, with those kind of things in mind, I want us to consider how we can practically, day to day, enter into God's rest until that ultimate day we live eternally in his presence. And I think the first thing is, very simply, finding rest in God's presence. That's what we've been talking about for the last few minutes. It's, it's making room in our life for worship. No matter what's happening around you. Again, think back to that picture of that ship being tossed on that raging sea and that one individual finding rest at the feet of Jesus, trusting in him no matter what's going on around him. 
Because here's the deal. If we, if we try and wait till life kind of slows down and kind of all the chaos starts to, to go away and our schedules clear out and, and, and all the worry and the fear just kind of diminishes, if that's what we're waiting for, that day is never going to come. We need to follow the sage advice of George Mueller. Listen to what he says. He says, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. It's accepting the invitation of Jesus to bring our weary and burdened self, our soul, so that it might find rest in him. We find rest in his presence. But we also find rest in his provision. Because even though Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, it doesn't mean that he's not interceding for us. In fact, the Bible tells us explicitly that he is. Romans 8, 34, it says, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Here's the good news. Even though the the work of the cross is finished, the care of our Savior is ongoing. He continually cares for us. He he intercedes on our behalf. He he gives us His Spirit that, that indwells us to give us strength that is perfected in the midst of our weakness. He brings comfort in our suffering, hope in our despair. And during temptation, Through the guidance of the Spirit, He promises to always provide a way of escape. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. See, Jesus is not idly observing from a distance. He is intimately involved in our daily lives. He gives us that daily supply of grace. And and the Scripture tells us His mercies are new every morning. So we find rest in His presence by being at the feet of Jesus. We find rest in his provision, knowing that he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And then finally, we find rest in his promises. When we feel alone, we remember the promise that he will never leave us and that he will never forsake us. When we fail, and we all do, we find rest in the promise that there is complete forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ, that it is finished, it is done, there is nothing more to do. When we've been hurt, we can find rest in the promise of his healing. We don't have to be held hostage by the harms that have been done to us. We can be set free when we find rest in him. When we are suffering, we can find rest in his comfort. But really, all these are connected if you think about it. Because when we rest in his presence, we are reminded of his promises. Because when I'm before the feet of Jesus, I'm looking at the words of God, the truths that have been promised. Allowing that word to speak into our lives. As we apply those promises, we then begin to experience his provision. And as that becomes a diligent pursuit over a lifetime, our faith is strengthened, our soul is secure, we find rest in the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And one day, (laughs) I can't wait for that day, we will rest eternally in the loving presence of our Savior. And I do pray, sincerely, 
that even now, that you find rest in your soul because you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, thank you for this promise. Thank you for the truth of your word. You understand that we are frail and feeble creatures. We need reminders. We need to have your promises rehearsed over and over again. And so that's why you've given us your word. You've allowed us to see the the truth of what you've made possible, the work that has been finished, so that we don't have to continue a work to somehow earn our salvation or to preserve the security of our salvation, but that we can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, help us to come into your presence to find rest. Help us to rely on your promises, to trust in your provision. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for demonstrating how much you deeply and sincerely love us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand as we sing. Before we introduce a a sweet new family, I just want to make sure you see the connection. That our present rest is deeply connected to our future hope. And the reason that we can find rest in the present circumstances is not because the circumstances get easier. It's because we know that he will preserve us until the very end when all things are made new. So as you spend time in the presence of your Savior, rejoice in what he provides through the work of his Spirit in your lives today and look forward to the hope when the circumstances change and all things are made new.